Are you ready to become a VIP? Do you have a cell phone that you can text on? Then consider this an exclusive invitation. As a VIP, you will receive special secret offers via text. These items are usually free and they are always must-have craft supplies from beloved brands. Send us a text and become a VIP at scrapbook.com. Welcome to the at-home edition of the Life Handmade Podcast with Scrapbook.com. This is the show for paper crafters, and I'm your host, Stephanie Foster. Today, we are so excited to be speaking with the talented and creative Leah Lawson. We are still social distancing, and so we're both recording remotely from our homes. But Leah is the marketing director with Pink Fresh Studio. She grew up in Missoula, Montana, and currently resides in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She earned a business administration degree from the University of Montana and also received training at the Rocky Mountain School of Photography. She and her husband, Josh, will be celebrating their 18th anniversary next month, and they have two babies in heaven named Ellie and Layton, and two dogs that they've had since they were puppies that are now in their elderly years. Leah and Josh have been forced to walk through very hard times, and in her words, quote, somehow we ended up on the other side okay bruised, battered, a little jaded about things, but with more love and understanding for each other and more compassion for others than ever before, end quote. In this episode, we will talk to Leah about some of these difficult challenges she has faced, what these experiences have taught her, and even how it's affected her creativity at times. We'll also talk to her about the latest Pink Fresh collections, some of her favorite go-to products right now, and some tips that will leave you feeling more inspired. Thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> You're already getting me a little misty-eyed. <laughs> oh. Well, w- let's start at the very beginning. I would love for you to tell us about your first memory of crafting and how it all began for you. Yeah. So I was a girl who always walked around with a camera in my hand, and I'm old enough that that's film camera. And so I always waited for the day when my role of film would be developed and I could see what those pictures were. And in very young life, I used to cut those pictures up, put them on papers and tape them up all over my room. And then my senior year of high school, my aunt Amy gave me a scrapbooking kit. And all it really consisted of was paper that was like, probably the quality of construction paper and some really random die cuts and things. But I documented my whole summer after my senior year and I was going into college as a cheerleader. So I had a bunch of events and and things going on for that. And that was my very first probably look into scrapbooking, my very start into scrapbooking. So I was 18 years old when I did that. And I am now 40. So I've been doing it for quite a while. Oh, that's really neat. First scrapbooks. We love looking back at those, right? We do. <laughs> yeah. Neat that you've documented those memories. Yeah. You know, from you, know such a you, do crin- you do cringe sometimes <laughs> because, you know, you cut your pictures into shapes and, you know, I certainly don't know where the original negatives are to those photos any longer, but it is what it is. That's great. So you you started scrapbooking then, and I know you then became a, cre- a Creating Keepsakes Hall of Fame winner. Is that correct? I did. Yeah, I was that. And I, I also um, was a finalist in their Scrapbooker of the Year contest. 
That's impressive. So, so you really got into it. Was that all on your own that you just kind of did that as a hobby at first? Yep, I sure did. Yep, just a hobby. And then how did you transition from scrapbooking into your card making? So I did both for a while. Um, kind of back in the day, there were lots of online card challenges. And I got really, I thought those were a lot of fun. And then in 2009, I went to the Rocky Mountain School of Photography. And my life just got really busy. It was an accelerated school. So I was going to school 10 to 12 hours per day, Monday through Saturday, the only day we had off was Sunday and occasionally an evening. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of transitioned just to making cards during that time because I really only had time to make a card here and there. I didn't have time to focus on layouts because those took me, I'm a slow crafter anyway, and layouts took me way longer than creating Mm -hmm. a card. So I just, that's probably where my transition started. That's that's a really good tip anyway about if if you don't have time to do a two-hour layout or something, you can make a card and that does take a little bit less time usually um, where you feel like you've accomplished something though and, and had that creative process. For sure. I agree with that. That's great. <laughs> so how did you eventually join with Pink Fresh Studio? That's uh, kind of a funny story, kind of not funny, but I when we moved to Minneapolis, I took a job at a television station because it's what I did before I um, transitioned into photography photography full-time. And I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. I wanted to get back to a place where I could work from home, but I wasn't really loving going back to a wedding photography business. I tried it out and it just just wasn't feeling it. So um, I had another friend who was friends with Kinnery, who is the owner of Pink Fresh Studio. And she had mentioned that she was looking for some part-time help to help with um, marketing, promoting, photographs, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, I have a marketing degree and photography. <laughs> so um, she put us in touch. We had a phone interview because Pink Fresh is based in Houston and I am in Minneapolis. And a couple of late- days later, she hired me and I was part-time at first, which was perfect. But that's really quickly, probably within four or five months, transitioned into a full-time role and has since transitioned into the marketing director role. That's really exciting. Sounds like a dream job for most crafters out there. It really is a dream job. Of course, I have mundane tasks. Any job has that. But really, I have a very creative job. And it's, it is definitely a dream come true. I always say to people, like, sometimes I feel like I should pinch myself. Yes. So lucky. So of all of the products of Pink Fresh, what is maybe your favorite go-to product that you just can't live without? Oh, hands down. Hands down are die cuts. Um, I am a card maker and I am a perfectionist by nature. And so I love um, the perfect straight lines and the perfect edges that only a metal die can give you. And I, our dies are amazing. They cut amazing. And we've got such beautiful designs. They're innovative. They're modern. Um, There probably isn't a card I create any longer. Even if I'm using other companies' products, uh, I always at least reach for one Pink Fresh Studio die because we have a really great line of essentials as well. You do. And I was looking on our YouTube videos um, that you've done. They've got some just unique products 
anyway, with they've got the liquid watercolors, they've got the big washi tape, which I love that can just perfectly fit on those A2 sized cards. Um, just a lot of innovative products from, from Pink Fresh. Yeah, that's definitely something we pride ourselves on. We like to be innovative. We want to find a, a way to make products more versatile. Um, ways so that you can use them on multiple crafts, not just cards. Like we also, you know, we started out as a scrapbooking company. So we always have memory keepers in the back of our mind when we're creating products. And so while you might feel like a lot of our stamps and dies are geared towards card makers, we're always trying to make sure that they can also be used in your scrapbooking layouts, or your mini albums, or your notebook pages, all of that. That's great. Where do you draw a lot of your inspiration from? Where, what tips can you give maybe to our crafters that just want to be more inspired in their layouts or their card making? Like, where do you draw your inspiration from? Oh, uh, I, color is probably one of my main driving forces. And also um, Kinnery, who is one of the you know main people that designs all of our products. We are very driven by color and I am very driven by color. Um, I think that's one of the most important aspects of a project. And then I just really look to what I am trying to say. And, you know, with, with paper crafting, with memory keeping, both sides, scrapbooking and card making, we are trying to say something. And with memory keeping, we're trying to tell a story. With card making, we're trying to convey how we feel about somebody that's going, we're going to give that card to. And so I always look as to what I'm doing with that project, what I'm trying to convey, and I'm often inspired by that message. That's really good. Tell us about some of the latest collections from Pink Fresh. Well, this year, we to start the year off, we released three really gorgeous collections. Um, My Favorite Story, Super Cool, and Noteworthy. So My Favorite Story is this really beautiful, colorful collection that's got this pop of black, which is just super modern. And it... Um, it makes me think of the rainbow for some reasons. It's not technically rainbow colors. It's like yellows and pinks and aquas with that black touch. Um, but it's just really fun. Um, there's just a lot of heartfelt and unique sentiments and sayings in it, which you will actually find along all three or next, excuse me, all of our paper collections. And then the super cool collection was one that we've actually been holding on and working on for a really long time. We wanted to have a collection that was geared towards tweens and teens, but that was cool and like current and not cheesy, I guess. That's, I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean that negatively by any means, but we just wanted it to be something that um, related to our world as it is. So there's a lot of really fun icons, a lot of stuff about Netflix and being on your headphones and all of that fun stuff. And selfies. Yeah. And yeah, all of the fun things that the teens are into. It's a perfect, perfect line for, I've got some teenage girls that love to make their own little scrapbooks. It's a perfect line for them. Exactly. And then Noteworthy is um, the third one that came a little bit later. And it's just a really beautiful, colorful and vibrant spring, summer collection. Lots of elements in it, like bicycles and trees and little neighborhoods. Uh, you know, even now, still kind of perfect for using during this time that we're in in the world. 
It absolutely is, which leads into your Let's Stay Home collection, which we're excited about that's coming soon. Can you tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. So it is currently in production. We cannot wait for it to get here. Um, we, we had a different collection that we were initially going to release for summer. And um, after COVID-19 hit, it just didn't feel relevant and it didn't feel appropriate to release because it wasn't, you know, our summer is probably not going to look like the things that we had included in the collection. So we got all hands on deck between Kinnery and our amazing illustrators, and they got this Let's Stay Home collection created in, you know, a matter of a week. And the, yeah, so the pillar of this collection is hope, but knowing, acknowledging that um, our lives look really, really different right now. And we're just trying to focus on the positive and the more uplifting aspects of how our world looks right now. Staying at home, cooking with our family, gardening, uh, being in your PJs all day. You know, we wanted to tackle the positive and more uplifting aspect of this. I love that. And I think so many people are enjoying documenting this time because it is a once in a lifetime kind of hopefully (laughs) experience. (laughs) And this will go perfectly with those books and the memories that they're creating right now. So I love that. How has your quarantine experience been? Have have you had things changed for you drastically? So I work from home anyway. Um, So that really hasn't changed. Now my husband works from home now. And so that's a little different. And we had to get used to that. And we turned our whole dining room into an office. It was my craft area slash our dining room initially, but now it's my craft room slash his office as well. But, you know, we're figuring that out. Um, So really, other than we're kind of homebodies in general, but we do like to, you know, we liked going to a movie then, you know, here and then or out to a happy hour or something. So that's kind of a bummer. But my husband is an amazing cook and I love to bake and we have found some new recipes to try out together. So we're doing pretty good. I think, you know, we're starting to get a little stir crazy and um, but our weather is starting to warm up now. So that means we can be outdoors a little bit more, which will we think will help. Which will really help, yes. In Arizona, we have the opposite problem. It's getting too hot now to want to go outside to go on those walks. But yes. Fun fact, I actually did live in Tucson, Arizona for um, a part of my childhood. So I do get that. (laughs) You're used to, yeah. You remember that heat, I'm sure. I do. It's hot. Well, you have been very open online with sharing about your sweet babies, Ellie and Layton. And I think that a lot of people have connected with you through the sharing of those stories and and about their lives and um, can relate with you because of what you've been through. So would you mind sharing with us about Ellie and Layton for those who may not know um, about them? Sure, I would love to. So um Creating or starting a family didn't come easy for me and my husband, which I know many, many couples go through. And uh, it took a while to get pregnant with Ellie. So, of course, once we did get pregnant, it took a little bit of help from our doctor. Once we did get pregnant with her, we were super excited. We um, did all of the testing that, you know, you they get offer you because we just wanted to make sure that... Um, everything was okay. And all of those results came back great. But then we got to our 20 week ultrasound and um, 
the gal that was doing the ultrasound was just really quiet. And I started noticing as she was making measurements that they were kind of small. They were smaller, about two weeks behind what my actual weeks were in progress. So, and that, it felt like that just went, that um, sonogram just went on forever. And so, and she didn't say anything. And it, so that as it, she doesn't, as she stopped, as she continued to not say anything, you could just tell like the, how the room just changed and Josh and I could tell that something was wrong. And so after she was finally done, they escorted us right over to my doctor's office, which we weren't expecting. And so obviously we knew that we weren't in for very good news. And so basically our doctor sat us down and told us that, um, Ellie didn't have any fluid around her. There were a lot of her internal organs that they couldn't see very well because of that. But that in his opinion, uh, her life, she was not compatible with life. So they referred us to maternal fetal medicine. We went for a really long ultrasound there. And basically he said the same thing. And so they give you all of your options, of course. And I chose to carry Ellie as long as she would allow. And that was for about five weeks. She came five weeks later. I went into labor with her and she was still alive. But after um, labor came on really hard and really fast and her poor little body just could not handle the contractions. And she did pass away before we were able to deliver her. So she was stillborn. Oh at 25 weeks. Okay. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So hard. Yes, it definitely is very, very hard. Um, You know, life doesn't teach you that um, life can end before it even begins. We we expect what we see in life is that um, we are born and our parents take care of us and then we take care of them and then they pass away and then we pass away and that's how life is supposed to go. So to to find out that um, life really can end before it even starts is it's shattering. Like it is heart shattering and it, it it's shattering just to everything that you, you know, thought you knew. And in, in a way, it takes away like an innocence that you have about life and death in general. Absolutely. And I don't mean to compare at all. I did go through infertility and had miscarriages. And so on some level, um, I, I can understand the, the grief and losing what you've, you've waited and waited, you know, months and years for. And it, it is, it's such a difficult thing to go through. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's all grief and it's, you know, while it's different, it's all a grief that, um, you know, there was a life that you were expecting to be a part of yours and that was cut very short. And it's, it's not fair and it's very hard. It is. And then how much longer after that were you pregnant with Leighton? So um, Ellie was born and passed away in July of 2015. And um, we got pregnant again with Leighton in December. So about five months later, um, because I, I, you know, I wasn't getting any younger. Um, it had taken us a long time to try to get this family started anyway, only to find out that we needed a little bit of help to get pregnant. And so once the doctor felt that um, emotionally and physically I could handle it, um, he, we did 
get pregnant with Leighton as soon as we could, which was in December. Okay. And then he, you delivered him at how many weeks? So Leighton was delivered at 28 weeks. <laughs> so what we found out is I obviously don't carry pregnancies very well. Um, we did know, um, we knew pretty early on because when you have a pregnancy that does not end well, they monitor you from the get-go very, very closely. So we knew pretty early on that Leighton had a stomach issue and a, or excuse me, a stomach defect and a heart defect both. But we also knew that once again, he had no genetic or chromosomal abnormalities. So they were actually very, very optimistic about Leighton's survival. Um, And then he was born at 28 weeks. And even then they were still very optimistic about his survival. They just knew he was going to have a really rough go of it. Um, He was born at 28 weeks. He was two pounds, 15 ounces, tiny little thing, but he was a little fighter. um, And he was not one of those preemies or micro preemies that struggled to gain weight. By the end, before he passed away, he was 16 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So we spent five months in a NICU with Leighton before he passed away. And while all of his conditions definitely um, did not help what happened to him, in the end, he actually did not pass away from either the um, stomach condition or the heart condition. It was probably more of a combination of the fact that he just had really terrible lungs from being born so early and being ventilated Mm. for so long. And um, he ended up having a punctured intestine from his feeding tube and with everything, all of that compounded together. And it it takes a while to be able to diagnose that. Um, We could, we could tell something was wrong, but it's really hard to see it in x-rays and um, those sorts of things. So um, his little body just, just could not serve, just couldn't survive the emergency surgery. He made it through the emergency surgery, but he just couldn't survive the um, recovering aspect of it. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I I think, again, people can relate to you who have lost um, loved ones and children. And I, I have a good friend who has just lost a baby. And um, just kind of a two-part question for you. Is there any advice you can give for those that are going through the grieving process that might be in the middle of it right now? And then what advice can you give for family and friends and loved ones that that we can do to help support those that are grieving? For sure. Somebody that is grieving, when it's important to understand that it's okay to be where you're at. If you are having, you know, a terrible, terrible day and you don't want anything to do with people, that's okay. If you are, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's okay to be exactly where you're at. It, there's no wrong way to grieve. Um, and it's important that you feel that grief and you you let work through that grief. Because if you try to put the grief aside or if you try to ignore it or um, you try to make light of it, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you. So it's, I just feel like it's really important to just be what you need to be in that moment when you need it. Yeah, to give yourself 
give yourself permission yep. to grieve too, you know, and that it looks different probably for every single person. Absolutely, There's no right timeline, you know, that everyone's might look a little yeah. bit different and that's okay. And really give yourself grace. Like if you can't leave the home one day or if you can't get out of bed one day, that's okay. Like you, there's another day that you can try again. And it's just really important to give yourself grace. So important. And then for family or loved ones that are trying to help support them through this, was there anything that was done for you that was meaningful or helpful um, that people showed their love to you in a certain way or supported you through this? I think the biggest thing um, for people to help somebody that's grieving is to just meet them where they're at and be okay with how uncomfortable grief is. Oftentimes people want to tie grief up in this pretty little package and put, you know, this, you know, a sympathy, you know, a sympathy sentiment with it that uh, everything happens for a reason or everything's going to be okay. And the truth of the matter is neither of those things are true. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, really important, I think, for people to just meet the person where they're at and be okay in the uncomfortable part of it. Um, That was the most important part for me, like people letting me say what I needed to say, even if it was angry Mm -hmm. or um, if I was hysterically crying, like uh, I get that that's uncomfortable, but um, I think that that shows somebody more love than trying to fix it, trying to make it better. Um, and I'm so sorry, I don't know what to say is so much better than a platitude. So. Yeah, because I think a lot of people in not knowing what to say, they they do nothing. They don't reach out or they don't come by. And I think just showing up and being there for them um, in a physical and emotional sense is, is so important. I agree. Um letting somebody that is going through a really hard time like that know that you're there, even if it's bringing over a cup of coffee or um, bringing over a dinner that you made so that they don't have to worry about dinner for that night or um, just little things like that. Even coming over and, and cleaning their house without even saying anything, stuff like that is just a really good way to show support and be there for somebody. Great acts of service. I've heard too that it's important to to still talk about your children by name, even though, you know, that they aren't with us anymore, but to still talk about them because you don't want people to forget, right? Absolutely. You know, I am four years removed from losing Leighton and five years removed from losing Ellie. And I still have to remind my family and friends that it doesn't hurt me if you bring them up, like, I want you to bring them up. I want you to say their name. I want you to talk about them because it's, it's the only way I have to keep their memory alive. We don't, you know, we have a few pictures here and there, but they're not here to be able to make memories with, but I still want them to be acknowledged. I still want them to be remembered. So it is definitely important to say their names. And, um, I also feel like that helps, there's a big stigma behind bringing up um, children that have passed away and it's getting a lot better, um, but there still is work to be done. And I think that by saying the names of children that have passed away, that's just, it's another way to end that stigma. 
Absolutely. And you actually created Leighton's Legacy to help us continue to remember Leighton as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I I did. Yes, I can. So when we were in the NICU with Leighton, um, NICU life is hard. Um, when you have a critically ill child, you know, you in a matter of weeks, you somehow become a nurse and a doctor all at the same time. And you learn all of these words that never in a million years you thought you would need to know. And it's isolating. Um, there's, you know, you're in a little nursery room with your baby for most of the day and you're listening to all of this medical noise and jargon and um, you're never able to just be with your baby alone. You're there with their nurses. Their nurses become like your best friends <laughs> because mm-hmm, it's who I you bet. spend most of your time with. And it's just, and it's hard, especially um, babies in a, in, in a NICU have really bad days sometimes um, with breathing or, or anything really. And I remember one day uh, one of our social workers came in and she handed me a card and inside of that card was a Starbucks gift card and a little note. And it they had been given by another family who had had a little one in that same NICU. And off the top of my head, I can't remember if the, the little one had lived or passed away, but just it was a really nice gesture. And it was a $20 Starbucks gift card. That's all it was. But it made me feel like there were people that understood how hard it was being a NICU parent. You got a lot of Mm -hmm. gifts for your NICU baby, you know, books and stuffed animals and things like that, which is awesome. But it, it often felt like the actual parent was not as acknowledged in those gifts. And the great thing about the hospital that Leighton was in is there was a Starbucks right across the street. So I could be still close enough to Leighton that if something were to go wrong or they needed me to come back over there right away, I could just run back across the street. But it did give me a time during the day when I could leave the hospital, get some fresh air, regroup if Leighton was having a bad day, and just take 15 minutes or so to myself. So mm-hmm. so what Leighton's Legacy is, is it is a fundraiser that I do. And right now it's just kind of a grassroots thing, but it's a fundraiser that I do in order to be able to purchase $50 Starbucks gift cards for every single bed in the NICU that Leighton lived his entire life in at U of M Children's Hospital. So there's 50 beds. So my goal is always $2,500. And then if I if I go past that $2,500, I just typically find another charity to give it to. This year, we did Ronald McDonald House because that's where we lived for those five months that Leighton was in the NICU and we didn't have to worry about rent or bills because we still had a mortgage that we were paying in Fargo where we were living at that time. So wow, that is what Leighton's legacy is. And, um, and then do you get to go and deliver them? Did you deliver those gift cards? So I did the first time. So the second set, um, I got those purchased in January, but it's RSV season. And then COVID-19 happened. So I have all of the ones from the last fundraiser. I have all of the $2,500 in gift cards waiting for the day that I'm actually allowed to step foot in the hospital to um, hand those over to the social worker. So that will be a really wonderful day whenever... I am allowed to do that. 
Absolutely. I love that that's how you're carrying on his name and his legacy. And and I know with that gift card, probably every time you used it, you thought of that person who gave, right? And I I mean, it just kind of reminds you that you're not alone in this and that people are thinking of you. And such a simple act can mean so much. Absolutely. That is wonderful. And then tell us a little bit about the Forever in Our Hearts stamp and die set. This is an amazing set. And I read through the sentiments on it and teared up just reading them (laughs) because they so perfectly say what you want your, you know, to convey to someone yeah. but you don't usually have the words to say it. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So when I started the, or when I was getting the fundraiser together for last year, this would have been the second time that I did it. I knew that I um, also wanted to, to do a stamp set with it. So I came to my boss, Kinnery at Pinkfresh Studio and asked her how she would feel about Um, illustrating and designing a stamp set that was sensitive, sympathy-based that could benefit Leighton's legacy. And she was 100% behind it. Um, And she took all of like my thoughts and what I wanted the stamp set to look like. And we um, worked very closely with one of our main illustrators, Ina Mareva, who is just amazing. And this lovely, beautiful six by eight stamp set in Leighton's memory was created called Forever in Our Hearts. And um, the big thing for me with the sentiments was that they were sensitive. Um, So often sympathy sentiments can seem really cold and um, just very on the surface. And that's okay. Sometimes you have a sympathy card that you send to somebody that you maybe don't know very well. And so you need those really formal um, sentiments. But when somebody loses a baby, it's um, just really different than somebody that maybe lost a grandparent or a parent or, um, you know, somebody that lived a full life. So absolutely, I wanted to have a, a, a sympathy set that was geared more towards um, loss that was more sudden or um, loss that they didn't live a full life or any life at all. So, and that's how Forever in Our Hearts was born. And it's a beautiful stamp set that I'm really, really proud of. It's gorgeous. Can I read a few of the sentiments that I just loved from that? Yeah, you sure can. Um, Here's just a few of them. The only people who think there is a time limit on grief have never lost a piece of their heart. Take all the time you need. Again, there's that grace of just giving yourself that time and that permission. Um, One says, there are no words to make this better. Just know that I am here for you. I mean, these are just tender and heartfelt and so specific to what someone might be going through who has lost a baby or any type of of loss. So thank you for creating those. You're welcome. I, you know, I was happy to, I saw, you know, there was a need for it. And, you know, I got, I did get really beautiful cards when I lost both of my kids in the mail and, um, but it is kind of interesting, especially people that are not card makers that go to like a card store and buy a card for something like this. There's like one because I've, I got the same card probably 10 to 12 times from Mm. family members and friends and stuff. So yes, very generic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, these are, it's just a beautiful set. Can you talk for just a moment about how 
grieving affected your ability to create or to even want to be creative? Um, you, you'd done creative things all your life and then you go through this process. How did that change things? It changed it significantly at first. Um, I actually couldn't really even look at my crafting area after Ellie died. I tried. I tried to force myself a couple of times to sit there and create something, but I hated every minute of it and I hated what I created. And um, I think I just realized that I, I just couldn't do it at that point. And I think there is something to be said about not forcing yourself to do something, even if you love it. Mm -hmm. And so I packed everything up and I put it away in boxes and I learned how to live a new life after going through such tragic loss. And that was the most, that was probably, that was the most important thing to do at that point was to learn how to live without Ellie. And then we got through all, you know, NICU time with Leighton and that took up all of my life. And we were actually mm -hmm. living in a city completely different than we, where we resided. Um, and then we lost Leighton and I took a good year to grieve both Ellie and Leighton because I was still very much so grieving Ellie as I was pregnant and with Leighton sure. in the NICU. So I took a good year to grieve both of them deeply and we we find we transitioned here to Minneapolis and of course had to buy a home and get all of that going as well but in a way we kind of learned how to live this life because we knew that we weren't going to try to have more children that was a Leighton was a breaking point for me like I knew I couldn't go through something like that again there's a point where mm -hmm. you know that you will be broken forever and I knew, so I didn't want to go past that point. Um, so we were learning how to live this life, just the two of us, and um, learning how to deal with grief on a daily basis. I think when you're at the very early stages of grief, you're fighting it and you're trying to push it away from you and you're trying to push it out of your life. And I think as time goes on and as you start to get into more of a routine and you start to kind of get back to, um, you know, as normal as life can be, you understand a little bit more that grief is more like a companion because it's, it's going to be there all of the time. It's going to be constant. It just, sometimes it gets softer and it changes and you have, you start having days that feel more normal. You have days that are really great, but you also will still have days that are really terrible and you just kind of learn how to live with that. So that's, I took like two and a half years to figure life out after such traumatic loss. And then I um, started getting that itch to be creative again. So I unpacked all of my stuff and didn't even know where to start. You know, the industry had changed a lot in almost three years of being a, away from it. And so I took some time to research out companies and learn about, you know, who was new, who was still there, all of that. And um, I came back to it. And, you know, it would have been okay if I hadn't, but it was something that I really, really loved before Ellie and Leighton. And I'm happy to say that I maybe love it even more now because it allows me to think about them and bring 
things into my projects that maybe make me remind me of my kids or, or think about my kids. So. Oh, that is so precious. I love that. And that you can still think about them in what you're doing and, and have that creativity and inspiration and and their memory lives on. And I love what you said about how grief doesn't go away. It, it's, yeah. it stays with us just in different, in different forms. And, um, I think that's so helpful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. So Leah, with all of these experiences that you have been through, what what would be your biggest takeaways? What have you learned from it? How have you grown? Um, how How is your life different now um, than it was before? Yeah, I think, um, I think I've learned to just not get caught up in little things. I used to let things bother me. I used to get, you know, all worked up in a frenzy over things that were in the end, not important. And after losing Ellie and Layton, you just, I just didn't have the energy for that. I've just become a much more laid back person, go with the flow. Um, Don't get me wrong. I still have my control freak moments. I think that's just part of my (laughs) makeup. Um, But I have just learned to let little things go And that has allowed just a lot more peace and a lot more serenity into my life. That's beautiful. Yeah, it puts things into perspective. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you again for sharing um, your experiences. And I know so many people are going to benefit from hearing that and um, feeling not so alone in the process if that is something that they are going through right now. So thank you. I hope so. Yeah. Absolutely. We end our podcast with um, a couple of questions. One is, what is the most meaningful handmade gift you've ever received? And then what is the most meaningful handmade project that you've created? So could you share with us what those projects were? Okay. So the most meaningful handmade gift that I've ever received has a little bit of a story behind it. When Leighton was in the NICU for the five months of his life, we lived at the Ronald McDonald house that was close to the hospital because we we actually resided in Fargo and Leighton came very suddenly while we were transferring his care to Minneapolis. So we hadn't had really had a chance to move to the city yet, even though my husband had transferred to the corporate office for his job here. You know, we really, our life was in Minneapolis. So when Leighton passed away, we found ourselves trying to figure out what we were going to do. And a really great friend of ours offered up his home for us to live with him while we sold our home in Fargo and transitioned here to Minneapolis. And, you know, that was a really, really great experience anyway. Um, You know, he kind of became like our family here in this city and it was a nice place. You know, there was a lot of laughter and a lot of great times that we had, even in the midst of all of that grief with him. And so it took a while for us to find a home that we liked here in the city that uh, was an area that we wanted and that we could afford. And when we finally did, um, that friend of ours, he actually surprised us with a really beautiful uh, painting of Leighton. He had this painting commissioned from a really popular artist here in St. Paul, which is, uh, we live in Minneapolis, but it's a twin city. We're right next to each other. And um, when he had it commissioned, the artist had said, you know, I'll, I'll get to it as soon as I can. I have a lot of stuff going on. And, but, you know, we don't know. We didn't really talk to the artist after it, but he got the painting of Leighton done in like a weekend. And um, 
he gave it over to our friend who, you know, had commissioned it for us. And um, it was still wet. It still had very, very wet paint, but it was a really, really thoughtful gift. And uh, while our friend did not make it himself, um, just the the thoughtfulness and the love behind having something like that commissioned for us was just a really, really precious and beautiful gift that we will cherish forever. What do you feel like is the most meaningful handmade project that you've created? So um, when my grandfather passed away, my grandma gave me a set of her favorite photos of him and she asked me just to create something with it. And so I created this little mini album that she could take with her wherever she wanted. And so that if she felt like she wanted to flip through it, if she, I mean, she could take it to the grocery store with her. It was something that she could put into her purse. Um, I created that with the pictures that she gave me and, um, she spent her winters in Arizona, but then would come home to Montana, which is where I um, lived most of my life. Um, she would come home to Montana in the summer. And so she had given me those photos probably in February, because I think that's around the time he had passed away. And so when she got home that summer, we met just the two of us and I gave it to her. And as she flipped through it, she, you know, just cried tons of both happy and sad tears together. And it was just the two of us. And um, she was just really excited to have that little piece that she could bring with her wherever she wanted to. That is such a treasure. How special. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Leah. It has been a true pleasure to speak with you and to learn from you. And we just love you and Peak Fresh Studio. So we just want to say thank you and wish you all the best. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I had a really great time. And thanks for letting me um, tell a little bit of my story. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah, for sharing so many of your experiences with us today. Your vulnerability in sharing about Ellie and Leighton will help all of us, whether we're going through the grieving process ourselves or wanting to know how we can best help and support someone who is. You can find links to Leighton's legacy and the Forever in Your Heart stamp and die set and all of the Pink Fresh collections we mentioned in the episode show notes. And you can go to scrapbook.com slash podcast for more information as well. Scrapbook.com carries over 40,000 unique items and is the number one online store for paper crafters. When you shop at scrapbook.com, you'll enjoy award-winning customer service, great prices, a huge selection of products, and super fast shipping. You also benefit from nearly 200,000 real product reviews from crafters like you. You'll find endless inspiration and meaningful connection in the scrapbook.com forum and gallery, and you can even take free online classes too. Be sure to subscribe to the Life Handmade podcast in your favorite app and enjoy our other episodes. And please consider leaving a review for the podcast as it will help other crafters like you to find it. Happiness is life handmade. the sun in my eyes.